You are listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership to inspire team captains to lead their teams more effectively and help coaches to systematically develop and use them. Now, here's your co-host, Luke Poulos. to another episode of the Captain's Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Poulos, and today was another fun one for me. They're all fun, but today especially because I had the chance to sit down and talk to a guy I actually went to high school with and randomly bumped into one weekend in D.C. His name is Marlon Beck, and he was not only a captain for the Binghamton University basketball team, but he was the captain for three years as a sophomore, junior, and senior which you rarely see at any level of collegiate sports, but for a Division I basketball player, that is truly, truly incredible. Marl and I talk about the challenges he had to overcome as a younger captain and some of the lessons he carried forward as a junior and senior captain, the relationship he had with his coach and how his coach empowered the players on the team to take ownership of the direction of the program, not just in his words and and what he said in the culture, but also his behavior. And lastly, we'll talk about a defining moment that Marlon had his his sophomore year and the impact it had on the team for the rest of that season and for the rest of his captaincy while at Binghamton. As you hear in a moment, Marlon is extremely passionate on this subject and has a lot of knowledge, wisdom, and advice for all you leaders out there. So I hope you all enjoy the conversation on another episode of the Captain's Coach Podcast. Hey, what's up, Marlon? Good talking to you. Glad, uh, glad we could finally get this on the, on the books. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm more than happy to be on the show. I mean, as soon as you kind of told me about the idea, um, when I saw you the other week, it was just amazing. I'm excited to just be on and kind of just share my background, some of my experiences, and just see hopefully share some insights to, to the listeners and just have a good conversation as we continue to catch up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, when we first got talking about the show and, you know, I, I asked you kind of not really knowing if you were a captain or not at, at Binghamton and then finding out you were actually a, a three-year captain, I think that's probably yeah, the yeah. place to, to start the conversation. Kind of how did, uh, how did that come, come about? Did you guys vote for captains or is that something you're kind of appointed as by the, yeah. uh, by the coaching staff as a sophomore? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you mentioned, I played Division One basketball at Binghamton University. Went there as, I mean, I had a couple of different looks, but I really wanted to go to, a, like, a low to mid-major school where I knew I could play right away. Ended up going there having a great freshman year. and But more importantly, my I was the starting point guard, but my coach um, always told me, he was like, I need you to be this leader of the team. Even when I was a freshman and I was on like a kind of upperclassman dominant team as a freshman. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit intimidating at first, you know, I mean, we actually did do it to where both uh, the players and the coaches vote. And my coach literally was like, Hey, I love when my point guard's a leader on the floor. And he challenged me mid season as a freshman and just be like, Hey guys, this is what we need to do to get better. He was also in his second year. And I kind of had a good relationship with all of my teammates. And I essentially told them, look, I want to be a leader on this team. It's not whether or not you guys want me to be. Even if I didn't become the captain, I was going to act like the captain. 
no matter what, just because I kind of felt as though just the leadership trait that I kind of had as a point guard, and if I could really have their minds on the on the court, off the court, it would definitely translate to being on the court. So was definitely able to get voted. I mean, luckily to get um, voted as a sophomore and kind of just grind it out, became upperclassmen and felt like I could share knowledge with the underclassmen. It was just a great overall experience. Yeah, and, and obviously basketball is one of those sports, kind of like football, where you have a quarterback being the point guard, like you said, on, on the court, you're kind of inherently the leader. You kind of run the offense. Everything kind of runs through you. And for you to be able yep. to translate that to off-the-court stuff. And, again, like being a sophomore and not only having that confidence from your coach, but your confidence from, from your teammates as well, what was what was kind of the biggest challenge other than, you know, kind of the inherent being the younger guy on the team? Were there any things you kind of, looking back, you wish you did differently, maybe as a sophomore and a junior? Or, you know, were there things that you had to work on, you know, those first couple years that you really thought that you honed in by the time you were a senior captain? Yeah, so I would say definitely, like, I think the challenge is the captain more hit me when I was an upperclassman. Because when I was an underclassman, I almost felt like, Yes, I was a leader, but you kind of feel like you have n you don't really have as much to lose because it's like, say you mess up or you miss one beat, you miss one cue, both your players and coach, I mean, your teammates and coaches can be like, okay, we'll let it slide. But of course, like, you don't really have much room for error as a captain. But once I got into my junior and senior role, just looking back, I think I didn't really realize the impact that I had as an upperclassman and my starting as a junior on the freshmen that were joining our team. I think it was almost like every single move that I made, and this goes from, I can say we have a practice at 4 p.m. and I get in at 3 p.m. If I'm doing that consistently throughout the week, then I'm gonna have freshmen and sophomores being in the gym right there with me. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, there might be times when they're not coming in with me, you know? So right. just being that leader and kind of just leading by example, I think that's the best way you can put it. I think that yeah. if you can lead by example and go through that and then, that, that's something that kind of translates to my life now, and I think on and off the court, no matter what. Yeah, and lead the, that example that you can show for the underclassmen, and like you said, that's definitely a different dynamic you have with the rest of your team. Uh, as a junior and senior, you can set the example, more of the example yep. than, than you could as a sophomore. But I, yep. I think that's actually a good point, being a younger guy on the team and also being the leader you had the older guys and the coaching staff to lean on a little bit more, you know, not all eyes were on you and every decision you made wasn't the end all be all because you knew if you made a mistake or you weren't sure about a decision or anything as a leader, you knew you had the older guys to kind of bounce ideas off of or to kind of back you up if you needed it or, you know, catch up and, and do the things that you may not have known to do as a captain or things that, you weren't sure you had the best way and knew that, you know, you had them, you, the trust went both ways uh, as a younger guy. I think it's a good point and, and something for anybody else who's in uh, a leadership position as a junior or a sophomore can definitely look for. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Cause I mean, even though you're the leader as a, as a younger person, you're still looking up to those upperclassmen at the same right. time, you know? So even as a leader, there's so much, like we talked about the little room to, of error, but there's, that little room, if you kind of bounce it back on the opposite, there's so much more room to improve right. at, at, a, at a younger age or younger position in your life. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I think you hit it right on the nail. 
Yeah. And one of the, my, my last guest, uh, Sam Walker, he was the, the author of the captain class, which was a big, uh, influence for what we're doing at the, the captain's coach and a great book. Anybody out there who, who hasn't picked it up yet, but one of the things he, we kind of talked about with the, the captains that he interviewed throughout his book. Um, one of the things they kind of come back to is as the captain, it's not that you have to do everything by yourself. You don't have to fill every leadership role on the team. Yeah. You just have to know what leadership roles are being filled by other people and you just taking on everything that's left, you know, knowing, yeah. that, knowing that you're doing your job, everyone else is doing their job and you can do everything else. No, absolutely. Cause I mean, in the leadership role, I mean, it's not about just being the best leader you can be. Cause I think the best leader in order to be the best leader, it's about helping other people get to where they need to go. You know, it's about helping the sixth or seventh man on the bench work as if there's no tomorrow, work hard as hell to maybe get into the starting lineup one day. It's all, and it goes all the way down to the 10th, 11th or 12th man on the bench, just speaking for basketball specifically now, obviously. And making them understand and also feel as though they're just as important as the star, as the star player. Like there's so many different, and like if I'm doing my job doing that and kind of including the, that 10th and 11th and 12th person, whether it's a walk on or whether it's somebody that just might not be getting the time. And you, and obviously you know this stuff. I mean, some people might get a little upset and there's, oh, there's so many ups and downs in the span of a collegiate student athlete when it comes to playing, no matter, even if you are the star player, you know? So, I mean, if, there's somebody, if you're just someone that they can go to and kind of just instill their trust into, but also make sure that they're doing what they need to be doing on and off the court or the field or whatever that their sport might entail. I mean, I think that you're doing a great job right there. Yeah. And that, and that brings it back to two of the tenants of leadership that we, that we coach at the captain's coach, you know, one of the tenants being that leadership is a service and really embodying that servant leader and understanding that, Hey, as a captain, it's not all about you and you and your position as a captain. It's about the rest of the team and what you can do for the individuals around you to make the team better and therefore make yeah. you better as a leader as well. And then the second tenant um, that we have is, is that leadership is influence. Um, being yeah. able to understand that you have such a position that you can influence guys, like you said, through, through your example of them showing up early, but also being able to work with them on an individual level and getting them to know, hey, you know, this is what you need to be working on um, as, as a fifth and sixth guy, you know, some, a little bit further down the bench maybe, and being able to find out what makes them tick, being able to figure out what motivates them, what things that they know they're good at, and make, maybe making them aware of, of some areas that they need to work on. Yeah, it's funny you even said the whole thing about servant leadership. I, um, when getting my master's degree at Georgetown, my first class was actually um, leadership in sports. And it was honestly, it might have been my favorite class um, in graduate school. And they talked about servant leadership. There's so many different forms. Influential, like you said, or transformational, transactional, where you, um, some, one of your, someone that's under you or someone that you're leading, or if they're, in our case, if you are the captain, that if they accomplish something, they're rewarded almost, you know? So it's almost like that thing where I talked about you're getting there early to the gym. It's not about what coaches see you in the gym early. You're not there for eyes to see you. You're there to get better, you know? And then you see that progress translate towards the game um, when you're on the field or on the court, and that's what it's all about. It's about getting rewarded for the work that you're putting in and also and being the leader to kind of carry that 
that weight and really tell that story to the underclassmen when you're older or even have upperclassmen doing it when you're only a sophomore because they might think, oh, we got a younger guy getting in the gym more than us. No, we can't let that happen, you know? Right. So there's so many different avenues. Yeah, like I know I've said that before, but yeah, it's, it's you can talk about leadership all day when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it sounds like that was, uh, you know, kind of part of the, your favorite experience about being a captain, being able to influence guys, set an example, and kind of be that, that servant leader and, and put everyone before you. Was there ever a time of conflict or adversity on the team that you either had to handle as a captain or maybe one of the other guys before you as captains or, or any other leaders kind of stepped up? And if there is that kind of situation, explain what they did well and how that kind of impacted the team. Yeah, so like like I said, my coach was the – it was his second year my freshman year. So not only the, myself and the team, like we were all brand new. We we started like four freshmen, my freshman year, four freshmen and a sophomore actually. It was the complete rebuild mode. And it was tough. The year before I got there, they won about, I think, three games the entire season. So going into a uh, a season or a team like that, you know there's going to be a uh, a lack of chemistry almost, or you know it's easy to get easily frustrated when you're losing like that, or things like that. Of course, like we got so much better each year, and that's what it's all about about progress. But I would say the biggest conflict is, for me honestly, was just managing so many different egos. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying that anyone on my team had a negative ego or anything. It's just managing so many people at a time to the point where our biggest conflict was where players. And you might be able to relate where some players may feel as though they're the, they turn their back on the coach. Because if your team's not winning, obviously something's not going right. Or players who, man, this is just normal for anybody. It, you might feel as though I should be getting a shot on the court or the field because obviously maybe the starters might not be producing enough to get the wins or consistent wins, you know. Right. And so in the locker room, there was a little bit of disparity sometimes, a little bit of, Oh, or when it came to practice, the person who might not have been going on the court might be taking things to the extra limit or really trying to go hard at the person who's starting, and that can maybe promote injury or anything like that. And I think there was a little bit of adversity in our locker room at times. You know, everything starts in the locker room before anything. And that's a lot of things that fans, other students, uh, people don't know those stories. Those are the internal stories. You talk about locker room and stuff. And for me – I, I like this cliche it is I, I really am a big believer in like the whole one band one sound. I think that the reason why we might not have been playing well on the court was because we didn't there was a lot of adversity in the locker room. We were players weren't really bought in to the coach's plan. Players weren't really running the coach's plays. They kinda of wanted to show off and do it themselves at times because they wanted to show that they should be on the court. And I think that's what kind of led to sometimes bad plays. And basketball is such a game of runs. But in order to solve that, I, I had to call, like, that was my first team meeting I ever called. And that the coaches didn't even know I was calling it. I had to basically text everybody, say, like, something that wouldn't even happen. Like, oh, like, come here, free food. <laughs> I forgot what I had said to really make it happen. Because I knew that as a sophomore, like, a couple games in the season, like, people would be like, oh, I'm not going to that, you yeah. know. So, and, like, it's tough. It's under, that's one of my, the things I was talking about, was underclassmen. And I remember everyone came. And I literally was just like, look, there isn't anything here. I should talk to you guys. And some people were kind of upset about that. Like, oh, you're wasting our time. But I literally spoke my piece. I said everything that was on my mind, similar to what I'm saying right now, talking about how we need to have, how 
unselfishness needs to come about us and everything like that. And I think after the meeting, practices were so much better, and our coaches came up to me as the captain and was like, what happened? Like, I feel like the vibe, the energy, everything is just so different on the court today. And I was like, nothing. I didn't even tell them about it until about, like, two weeks later because I didn't want the coaches to say something about it to the players. I wanted it to really right. be a player-owned thing, you know? Yeah. Like, something that we can feel like we can build our own trust. Like, I feel like sometimes as a captain, you bring in the higher-ups. This is something I can even talk about, whether it's work or anything like that. Like, it's okay to keep things internal and yeah. where it's almost like a safe and comfort zone in a sense, you know? And I think we went on, like, a four-game win streak after that meeting or something like that. Like, it – and that was huge for us, coming off of what we were coming off of. And I think just kind of helping that build momentum and kind of just taking ownership of what's yours or what you feel as though needs to happen, that that's what it's all about. And I think that was just a prime example of solving a conflict and really seeing the success and kind of turning the boat around, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that comes back to, like, tenant number one at the captain's coach, that everything rises and falls with leadership. And, and part of that, that saying is the ownership piece. And I think yeah. that, that story is a perfect example of how you as an individual leader, as a captain of the team, took ownership of the situation, was, were handling it at the lowest level possible. You know, like if you got a problem with an individual guy, you're not going to have a team meeting about it. You're going to go directly to that yeah. and handle it one-on-one. If you got a problem that's with a do it. team and it's not necessarily a strategy or tactics thing that's not working out between the players and the coaches, but it's kind of a attitude, mentality, vibe, environment of the locker room, you can handle that team internal and exactly the way you did. And then on top of it, you can really see how much of something that, you know, that guys at first, when they found out what the meeting really was, you know, you kind of had that reaction of, oh, why did you bring us here? This is a waste of time. But you can see the impact that a injection of leadership and just letting everyone know, hey, we need to get on the same page. This is where we're at. This is where we need to go. And this is what I see as a, as a leader, what we can all do and what I can do and all of you as individuals can do to kind of get us past this, what's going on now and move on to the next step. And it sounds like it had an immediate effect. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, it's almost like you think of it like a mountain. We all want to climb to the top of the mountain, but in order to get to the top of the mountain, we need everyone on our team to buy in because if one person can't go, then we all can't go. Right. You know, and that's how you really got to look at it. Exactly. Um, and, and I know your coach was, was just kind of starting out there, but by the time you left, what were some things that you think he was doing well and, and the program at a whole was doing well to kind of systematically build leaders within the program and on the team? I mean, I think it's first things first. It's exactly how we started this conversation. It, it's, engraving trust into the younger core. I think my coach did a good job of that. I mean, we had some players transfer out, but me and my coach, we had a lot of ups and downs. We butted heads at times, but I think that's normal. Um, and I think that, honestly, it's what made me into the leader I am today. Like, off the court now, fast-forwarding two to three years later, I think that my coach did an excellent job of bringing me in, making me feel like I'm family. And on top of that, letting me know that if I ever had any issues, like I'm the captain of the players, but he's the captain of the entire ship, you know? Right. And I think he did a good job of letting me know that if I ever needed anything, 
even outside of basketball, like I could call him right now if I was really needing someone to talk to or I was getting it. I don't know anything that could happen, whether it's good or bad. I could still have that relationship with him, no matter how many times me and him had great moments or we had some low moments. And I think that's something that's great. So he was the first leader that I encountered at Binghamton University, um, obviously as the head coach. And I think some of the things that he did kind of translated over to me, which tra- then would translate over to our players. And I think that's what a co- he really wanted me to do overall. So by the time I was that junior, senior, it was all the players on the team looked up to me my senior year. It was, okay, if we have a question, where do we need to take this ship? Where do we need to do? What do we need to go? Where do we need to go? It's with Marlon Tank, you know? And when I was a sophomore and that was the case, it was, okay, ask me. And then I might have to be like, hey, coach, where, what do you yeah. think, you know? But by the time I became up a classroom, kind of had some experience under my belt, my wing, it was, don't worry about it, coach. I got this. I'll handle it. Don't worry about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, I, and that's a huge piece that I think sometimes coaches shy away from is getting the younger classes involved. And obviously, you know, having a new guy come in as a coach and having a new crop of players and bringing in your own people and kind of designing the culture you want, you can pick a leader and make them the captain. But even after your years in and you have guys every junior and senior year, especially for your seniors and knowing you can count on them, the important thing is not forgetting the younger guys and gals on your team and knowing, hey, you still need to incorporate those people into the leadership, into the decisions, getting them involved in some way or another, giving them responsibility and having those conversations. So by the time they're seniors, you just have kind of a continual uh, kind of a, uh, it runs itself, you know, self, self-sustaining model of leadership. And I like what you said, it's just that when that trust goes from the coach to his leaders and from the leaders back to the rest of the team and then from the team back to the coach, it's, it's all a complete buy-in and it's, it's leadership begets leadership. And, and the more leaders you have on the team, the more leaders they're going to create. And at a certain point, you're going to look around and say, anybody I can go to on this team, I know what leadership role they're in. I know what kind of role they can fill at any given time. And it just comes back to that trust, like you were saying. That's the, that's the biggest piece of it. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Was there anything else that your coach did well in terms of personally mentoring you or developing you or any of the other guys on the team in terms of leadership? other than the conversations you had and really curating kind of a, a, a really good relationship? Yeah, I would say just to kind of piggyback on what I said earlier, I would say he just kind of made it a – he made it a, player, a player's own team. You know, I think instead of making it as like, okay, I'm the head coach, I run everything, it's no. If anyone has any issues, anyone has any, it's like, no, it's player-owned. If anyone needs to come say something to our team, it's say it to us, say it to anyone on the team, and it'll get trickled down to whoever it needs to go. I think my coach also, like, and also my assistant coach, Ben Luber, who was the guy who recruited me, and he was, honestly, he might be the best coach I've ever had, I've ever been under in my life. He did an amazing job of just, he was the captain at his school. He played at Penn State University. And uh, he was a point guard, so he was kind of like my my personal coach in terms of workouts and everything like that. And I think if you can now establish like that that uh, coach player relationship, like think about it now the 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 L.A. Rams coach. He's like 
young 30s. You know what I mean? Or you think of like a Sean Payton for New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Like these guys, like they're in the lot. Or like, no, the best example, honestly, is like Dabo, the coach of Clemson football. They like, you see him dancing in the locker room with the guys. You see him doing all that kind of stuff. It's, I think our coaches really, they were fairly young. And I think they did an excellent job of making you feel as though like they were players. It was like after a workout, like they're sitting there like, play, check ball, play me one-on-one. Like what coach is going to do that, you know? And I yeah. think, like, shout out to all my coaches, Herb Courtney, Crutch Lacusa, Brian Goodman, P. Corsonidi, all of them. They all, they're going to have amazing coaching careers just just based off my experiences with them. And I know they've, I was just one class, like, they've touched hundreds of, of young kids' um, lives just through that all. And I think if I can really, like me, I sit here now and I could, Someone says, oh, how was your college experience? I'm like, I wouldn't trade anything for the world. And I think my coaches, not just my head coach, but my entire coaching staff did a, for the four years that I did have, did an amazing job of just instilling that um, for me. So very grateful for that. Yeah, and it just sounds like they had a really, really close relationship with not only the, the leadership on your team being you, but everyone else on the team. And those examples you cited, I think it just goes to show the closer – people are with their their players the the more impact their leadership has on a a personal level and then on top of that yeah you can notice that kind of pattern it makes perfect sense that the best leadership that you're going to get out of anybody in your organization is going to be a player on the team and that's a quote greg popovich has and we bring it up all the time on the show is that a player coach team or a player-led team will always outperform a coach-coach team or a coach-led team. Yeah, that I mean, obviously, you know, Greg Popovich is one of the greatest all time, and I think you couldn't say it better than that. I think growing up in high school, my I think that was the first time I ever really had – I had two coaches. I, I was so blessed to have those type of coaches in both high school and AAU, so like my club team whether it was Nate Blackman for my AU team and um, Garrett O'Donnell for my high school team at Murray, um, they were just amazing and just letting us all feel as though, like, our, like if you do that, like, our, the chemistry, like, for example, my high school basketball team, we weren't the top skilled kids in the country. We weren't the best. Like, I think I was the only one who went to go play Division I basketball. I mean, we had a couple players who went D2 and D3, but in my opinion, they all could have went D1. Um, but we played big teams like big WCAC teams. We played the best teams in other areas and stuff. And we went like 24 and four, not because of, oh, we're that much more skilled. Like I'm not saying we weren't good because I thought, I thought we were very good, but we just played as a unit. Our team was just so much better as our chem, as our chemistry was just so good that like we looked as if we had been playing for five years in a row now, like with the same team. Yeah. And I think, that all starts in practice. It starts with if the coach is upset in practice and starts yelling or whatever it is, you got to run it. The team is together in it. It's like a team is uh, one player is down, your teammates are to pick you up because the same thing is going to translate over to the court. And then the, your other team is going to see it and do the same thing the next time for somebody else. So it, the player, like, I think that's, that's one of the greatest quotes when it comes to leadership and being a captain and just kind of leading the ship as I've kind of echoed on this, on this podcast today. Yeah. And it, it just goes to show you the, the difference that leadership and culture makes 
if you look at the great yeah. dynasties, you know, going back to, to Sam Walker's book, The Captain Class, the 17 greatest teams in the last 100 years, the, the tier one level teams, it wasn't because of their talent. It wasn't because of coaching. It wasn't because of organizational structure or resources. It was because they had, one, a transformational captain, an individual person on the team making that big of a difference. And they had this culture that just perpetuated itself while that individual was there. And that, it, that example of your high school team it, is the exact example of that at the, at the high school level. But I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, Marlon, but it, what other advice would you give fellow captains today or, or kind of anyone aspiring to develop their leadership skills to be a captain? Honestly, I would say put yourself in the shoes of a captain. It's, ask yourself, if you're not a captain right now, it's, ask yourself right now. You're on a team. You're in, and this isn't just for team. You're in a work setting. You're on a team at work, or you're on a team in basketball, football, soccer, volleyball, field hockey, whatever it is. It, what would you want the captain of your team to do for you? How would you want them to lead your team? Or what can, what, what can someone else do better? If someone on your team is a captain, and not all captains are great captains, honestly, you know? Sometimes, like, it can be a popularity contest, and that's just the reality of it sometimes. But what, would you, what can you do to really let your teammates know that you're the right person? Not just because you're cool with everybody or anything like that, but because you can actually help lead this team to where it is. Like, for example, my junior senior year, my senior year, the other leader, the other captain on the team was the other senior on the team, um, my best friend in college, John Rinaldi. And he wasn't in the starting lineup. He came in as a walk-on, earned his right through working hard as hell, got himself a scholarship um, for his senior year. And it just translated, like the hard work. Like that's somebody who, who's a great leader, you know, someone who it doesn't matter what position they're in, but they showcase the hard work, the ethic, the – the going out of their way to make sure everyone's good and everyone's on the same and right page. That's what it takes to really be the captain. It's, it's really what, what can someone do for you to help you make them feel that they're the best captain. And if you figure out what that is, what you personally need as a team teammate or ask your friend what they would want in the captain. And then you can actually do it, but not because you want to be the captain, but you can do it because that's ultimately who you are and what your values actually represent personally. Then it's a no brainer. Then you're going to be the, then you should be the captain. And when you are, you're going to kill it and have an amazing experience just kind of leading others and then leading others in a career or profession, whatever it is after you graduate or after you stop playing collegiate athletics or professionally. So that's what I would say. And it, it is a job for sure, but I think if you're up for it, it it's a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. And I love the aspect that you said, you know, take the aspect, take the perspective of a follower on the team or someone who's not in a leadership role. And if you're in that position, kind of putting yourself in the leadership role and saying, Hey, how would I want to be led? How would I want my team yeah. to be led? Cause that's what leadership's all about. Because if you're a leader without followers, you're just walking. And that's the, you that's know. That's a great way of putting it. It's, it's where leadership starts. It's the team that you're surrounded by. So identifying before you get to that level, hey, what would I do in this situation? What do I need to work on in order to make these decisions? What behaviors do I want to continue to, to build out in my own character 
to make myself the best leader for, for those I want to follow me. So I think that's no uh, doubt. Yeah. Great stuff all around Marlon. I know, I know you got to head out. You got another, uh, another thing coming in the next five minutes, but I really appreciate you, you coming on the show. It's been great talking to you and, and maybe sometime we can hook up in the future on, on either uh, a leadership thing or, or coming back on the show for round two. No, absolutely. I would love it. Um, like I mentioned before, just in the beginning of the show, like really love what you've got going on here. I think this is great stuff. I wish this was something that was out or I knew about when I was a freshman in college, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think this is something that has longevity and has the ability to continue to grow, showcase different skill sets and ultimately turn into something bigger than what it is. Cause I mean, it's not like you're doing this for to like showcase a skill or anything like that. You're doing this because this is something you're passionate about. And that's also what translates to a captain. You know, it's you yourself are being the leader of this show and getting people like myself or all the other people you've had on the show to kind of do this. And I definitely commend you for everything that you've been doing. And I would love to come back on for a part two um, later on or and then definitely catch up with you even more and just continue to just keep doing great things, you know? Yeah, for sure, Marlon. Thanks again. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, we'll uh, we'll no see doubt. where it takes us. All right, man. No doubt, man. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Luke Poulet. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.